Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. I will be there in a minute. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you guys know the story because you are all really good Bible students. Our friends over at Foster Street probably don't know it as well as you do. So um, you guys know Genesis 1 and 2. You see that God created everything in the world. You see that God created the heavens and the earth, God created the land, he created the water, all the animals, um, all that good stuff we find in Genesis chapter 1 was God's creation. What you see is that God creates, um, God separates, and God fills in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You see God creates everything around us, um, and he's still doing that today, by the way. He's still creating new life today. We're going to celebrate new life in a couple of weeks with our babies. He's still creating spiritual life today. He's still forgiving. He's still uh, redeeming. He's still saving people even today. Um, God's created then, and he creates now. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 that not only does he create, but he fills. We see he created the heavens, he, he filled the heavens. He created the sky, he filled the sky with the birds. He created the water, he filled it with the fish. He created the land, he filled it with the animals. He created you and me, and the word says in Genesis chapter 2 that he fills us with his breath. When he created Adam and Eve, he breathed life into them. God creates God feels and also God separates. We see in Genesis chapter 1, he separated the heavens from the earth. He separated day from night. He separated the light from the dark. Um, he did that then and he's still doing that today. Um, he separates um, here today. You and I today, if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, if you've been saved, if you've uh, repented of your sins, say amen. You, my friend, God is what, what God would call a saint. You are a saint of God, and the word saint simply means um, to be pulled out, to be set apart, to be separated from, from uh, where you're at, to be separated from everything else around you for a specific purpose, and that purpose is for what God has designed you to do. So, God separated in Genesis 1 and 2. God is still separating. He is still calling out. He's still setting apart you and I today to do His work in the, uh, in the world and in the place and the time that He has put us. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Today, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. And I hate to be the one to say it, but that's where all the bad news comes in. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But we have good news that follows. Amen. Genesis 3, what you find in the Bible is Genesis 3 is the fall of man. It's the temptation of Adam and Eve, and it's the disobedience to God's word and the fall and where sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. Let me say this before we read about Genesis 3. If Genesis 3 were not in the Bible, there would be no rest of the Bible. 
right? From the very next chapter, from Genesis 4 all the way to uh, Revelation chapter 22, is the story, is the conflict, is the fight between good and evil, between um, God of the heavens and the enemy, and it's about the redemption story of God's people that all started that uh, sin, when sin came into the world in the fall here in Genesis chapter 3. Every sin can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3. Every, all, all unforgiveness can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3. All the hate you see in the world can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3. All division, all pain, all struggle, and all death can all be traced back to Genesis chapter 3. Let me tell you guys what I've been doing the past two days. The past two days, I've had the wonderful privilege of, um, of preaching at or speaking at two different funerals. I preached at a church um, in Lexington um, on Friday for a funeral. It was Callie's, what is he, how is he kin to you? Uncle-ish? Second great uncle? Is that a thing? <laughs> Okay, so um, the guy that passed, his name was Billy. Billy's dad and Callie's grandpa were brothers. Whatever that makes their relationship, I don't know. But um, I had the uh, really cool opportunity to, to speak at that funeral. Um, and then yesterday, I had the opportunity to speak at my dear friend Heather Ayers' grandmother's funeral um, and McKenna's great-grandmother's funeral, um, which we held here. We have those funerals because of Genesis chapter 3. Death entered the world at Genesis chapter 3. Our loved ones that have passed, our loved ones that have moved on, our loved ones that are in heaven today, they're there because of Genesis chapter 3. All the pain in the world can be traced back here. Turn on the news and all the bad news that you see there is started here in Genesis chapter 3. Um, also in Genesis chapter 3 is when we are introduced to the serpent, what Genesis 3, Moses calls the serpent. John in Revelation 12 calls him the devil and calls him Satan. Jesus calls him the evil one and calls him the prince of this world. The Pharisee called him Beelzebub. Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians the God of this age and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I call him the enemy because he's out to steal from us, he's out to kill us, and he's out to destroy you today. That is who we're up against, and that is what we see here in Genesis chapter 3. What I want us to do is take a few minutes this morning. It's not going to be long today. You may be walking out of these doors well before 11 o'clock, and everybody said amen. Oh, y'all want to stay later? Who said no? I saw a couple of head shakes. No. That's okay. That's okay. I don't want to stay much later either. Okay? So. All right, let's read here. I want us to look at the strategy. I want us to look at the tactics. I want us to look at what the serpent did, how he tempted Eve and Adam to disobey God's law. The past couple of weeks, we've been talking about temptation. I want us to look at how the enemy here firsthand uses temptation and how he got um, Adam and Eve to follow his word instead of God's word. So let's read Genesis chapter, th chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, if you've ever read Genesis chapter 2, you know that that's not exactly what God said. God didn't say a word about touching the tree. But the enemy deceived Eve. The enemy made her believe something that was not true, and it changed God's word to Eve, and Eve believed the lie and the deceivement that, you, that she got from the serpent. The first thing the enemy will do when he tries to tempt you away is to try to get you to doubt, or he will get you to change God's word in your life. Any, uh, anybody like snow? Raise your hand. I'll be praying for you people. Um, I am a summertime person. Give me the 95 and the 100% humidity over the snow any day of the week. I'll take 95 over 45 any day of the week. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you. I don't like the snow, man. I don't like wearing jackets. I like wearing flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts. I don't want to wear jackets and boots and I don't want to fall down and get hurt and I certainly don't want to drive in the snow uh, and I don't want to stay at home for two weeks and not be able to get out of the house so those two things kind of work in conflict together I don't like the snow TJ loves the snow he's been wanting it to snow for a couple years and we haven't gotten a really good snow in a couple years praise God and we're praying that we don't get one again this year but TJ loves the snow there was a few years ago there was a threat of snow one Friday afternoon. Um, I remember uh, schools were already canceled just because of the threat of snow. And I remember I left the house early that morning to come here to the office. And TJ called me on the phone. And he said, Daddy, it's going to snow. I said, Buddy, I hope it doesn't. He said, Daddy, it's going to snow. I said, TJ, listen to me. If it starts snowing, now he knows I don't like the snow. I said, if it starts snowing, I will come home and we will play outside for a few minutes. I heard this joker drop the phone and yell to Callie, Mom, Daddy said he can't wait for it to snow and he can't wait to get home and play outside with me. Which is not at all what I said. I said, I hope it don't snow. But if it does, I will come home and reluctantly play with you in the snow for a few minutes. What he heard was, Daddy can't wait for it to snow. He's ready to come home. He's ready to go play. That's basically what Satan did to Eve here in Genesis chapter 3. He deceived her into thinking that God said something that God didn't say. He deceived her into thinking that God said a command, that God made a law, that Eve, that God did not say. Look at how Satan went to Eve. He said, did God really say? Just by that one question, the enemy is doubting, is placing doubt in Eve's mind on God's word. Did God really say that you can't eat of any fruit in the garden? 
Now what Eve should have done was quoted exactly what God said to her in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, but that's not what she did. When you see Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, you see him quote exact scriptures back to Satan to, to get him to flee and to get away from the situation and to flee from temptation. What you see here from Eve is she did not quote back the exact scripture that God told her in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, what she did was she was deceived by Satan's word. Satan got her to doubt God's word. And can I tell you today, he's doing the exact same thing to you today. Satan doesn't want you to believe what the word says. Satan won't, don't care if you read it, you can read it all you want to. Satan has a problem when you believe it, when you trust in it. When you align your life to it. So what he will do is he will try to get you to doubt what the word says. He'll tell you things like this. Did God really say you have to forgive people? Like he probably meant that for like somebody who cuts you off in the coming up the road. He didn't mean that for someone who stabbed you in the back. He didn't mean that for someone who left you hanging. He didn't mean that for a mom or dad that didn't love you and take care of you as a son or daughter the way that you needed and deserved to be loved and taken care of. He didn't mean for you to forgive those people that lied about you. Did he really mean to forgive those people that hurt you physically, that hurt you emotionally, that lied to you? God really didn't mean for that to happen, right? Or he'll say things like this. The enemy will say, did God really mean for you to give and serve people like did God really mean for you to give part of your income to the church like did he does he not know like you have bills to pay food to buy people to take care did God really mean for you to take your extra time and give serving people who, who need some help did God really mean that or he'll say things like this did God really mean did God really mean for you to spend time with him every day? Like, God didn't really expect you to do that every day. Like God doesn't expect you to come to church every single week. Like, you've got stuff going on. When it rains, Lord, there ain't no reason to go into church when it rains. Does God really mean for you to be dedicated? Did God really mean for you to die to yourself? Did God really mean for you to pick up your cross? Does God really mean what he says? God did it, or Satan did it then to Eve, and he does it to you and I today. Listen to me. When Satan tempts you, your biggest weapon back is the word of God. That's why... Satan wants you to doubt the word of God is because that's your biggest weapon to fight against him. Does that make sense? The enemy wouldn't care about the word of God unless that was what could get him. Let me give you a little tip here. When the enemy implants a thought into your mind, did God really mean? The answer, yes, God really meant it. And you can find proof of it in the word. 
You may be here this morning and, God, and the enemy is tempting you to withhold forgiveness, to withhold your hard feelings, to withhold the pain that someone has caused you. God's calling you to forgive by his power. God's calling you to let go of those past hurts, let go of those past feelings, let go of those emotions. When the enemy tries to get you to doubt God's word, you've got to know God's word. You've got to have God's word, as the psalm says, hidden in your heart so that you can fight against the enemy schemes of getting you to doubt God's word. Does God, did God really mean for you to forgive? Yes. Yeah. And it's written there. You may be here this morning and that's your trouble. That's your area of your life. That's the thorn in your side, as Paul says. That's one of the issues that you have the biggest, biggest uh, hurdles in your life is forgiveness. Let me encourage you again, read God's word. God's word will give you power to do what God is calling you to do. God's word will give you power to run from temptation. God's word will give you power to defeat the temptation because the enemy is trying to use the same word that gives you power to take you out. But God's word is more powerful than the deceiver who is misinterpreting God's word to try to get you to believe him. And I encourage you today, make God's word a priority in your life. There's no better weapon that you have to flee from God's word, to turn back from the very words of God Almighty, is to start a slippery slope. As we talked about last week, that starts with temptation and leads to sin. And sin leads to what? Death. The way you fight that is with God's word. We see the enemy. We see Satan. We see the deceiver try to deceive Eve to doubt the word of God. Hebrews says that God's word is active. Hebrews says that God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword, which means it's more than enough for you today. We see time and time in Scripture, God's word proved true. We've seen it time and time in your life that God's word has proven true. No matter what the enemy says, this word cannot be stopped. This is where their power's at. Hulk Hogan used to say, I don't even know what this means, but he used to point at his palm, and he would say, this is where the power lies, brother. I don't even know what that means, but that's what he used to say. Does everybody know who Hulk Hogan is? I hope so. If not, you're not American. You're not American if you don't know Hulk Hogan, brother. Well, this is where our power lies. You need help forgiving people? You need hope, direction, blessing, favor, peace, forgiveness, repentance. It's all here. This is where it's at. And the enemy wants you to not believe it. And so he will try to get you to doubt God's word. Secondly, we see that the enemy tries to get Eve to doubt God's goodness. Look at verses 4 and 5. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy trying to get Eve to believe God's holding out on you. You're, you won't die. You'll just become like God if you eat this. 
because he's holding out on you. He don't want you to become like him. The enemy is trying to get Eve to believe that God is holding out, that God is withholding goodness in her life. When you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what do you see? God create everything on day one, then he says what? It is what? Good. Day two, it is? Day three, four, five, six, seven. Trick question. Y'all did good. Y'all did good. The creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 screams God's goodness. Screams it. I'm good. What I create is good. How I create it is good. What I create it for is good. Goodness, God's goodness is seen all throughout Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What the enemy is trying to do is to get you and I today to not believe that God has our best interest in mind. And can I tell you, some days he does a really good job at it. And it looks like this. If God was really God, we would not be going through the things that we go through. If God was really as good as you think he is, you would not be going through the valley that you go through. If God was really as good as you claim he is, as really as good as the word claims he is, as really good as churches all across the world claims he is, you would not be going through the hurt and the pain that you're going through today. The enemy will tell you that to make you question the goodness of God. Secondly, the enemy wants you to put your trust not in God's goodness, but wants you to put your trust in other things. And he does a really good job at this too. Need an example? I'll give you an example. For some reason, we like to put our trust in politicians to take care of us. Ain't happening. <laughs> ain't happening we like to put our trust and our hope and our future in a piece of paper that's got a number on it that we keep in our wallet or we keep in a bank can i tell you something about both of those things anytime your trust is in a person for your purpose or your future or your hope here's the deal those people are sinners just like you their thoughts their lives are tainted by sin just like ours they will hurt you just like we hurt people. They will lie to you just like we've lied to people. They will break a promise. They will misuse you. They will abandon you just like we've done the exact same things to people in our life. And so what happens is when we put our hope and our trust in these people, instead of God Almighty, when that happens, when they fail and they will fall and we will fall because we are humans, then our purpose is lost. We have nowhere to place our trust. We have nowhere to point our purpose to, and we have no reason to live after that. When we put the, our, our hope and our trust and our faith in our money and our wallet and our pocketbook, here's the deal. That money's not going to be around forever. That money can be taken from you. You can lose it. Anytime your hope and your trust is in something or someone that can be taken or you can lose, you are in a bad place because once that happens, and it will happen, once it does, you've lost your purpose for living. 
God's goodness is what points us, and God's goodness is the only thing that points us to a purpose and to point our trust to because it is the only thing that will never leave us or forsake us. God's word, God's goodness is the only thing in all the world that will never be taken from you and will never get up and leave you. People in your life today, they may leave one day, God won't. When things get tough, there are people in your life that left you. God didn't. When things got tight, money ran out, God's goodness didn't. The enemy wants you to believe that God's holding back on you. And so when you believe that God's holding back on you, you tend to put your trust and your hope in something else. Can I encourage you? Don't. Don't. God's goodness is enough for you. We're told in 2 Peter chapter 1 that believers, that disciples, those that are in Christ, have everything that you need to live out a godly life. Everything that you need, you have available to you through God in heaven. Everything that you need. You're not missing anything. Some of you, well, listen, we all have different talents, we all have different gifts, we all have different skills and different abilities. So some of you are not the best speakers in the world, you're not the best talkers. Don't believe that God can't use you to fulfill His purpose here on earth because you have everything that you need to live a godly life here. Some of you don't have a lot of money. Don't think that God can't use you to fulfill his purpose because you have everything that you need, according to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, everything that you need to fulfill God's purpose and to live a godly life. That's how good God is to you. That's what the enemy doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know that God's goodness has already given you everything that you need. You have it. And what you don't have, when you need it, God will provide it. We read in, in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites got out of Egypt, and they're in the, uh, in the wilderness, they were hungry. God provided manna for them. Remember how he provided it? They woke up one morning, boom, it was there. And what was God's instructions? Take what you need for today, because tomorrow it'll be back again. You have what you need in your life today. And we trust that tomorrow he will provide all the more. The enemy does not want you to believe that God is good. The enemy wants you to believe that he's holding back on you. The enemy wants you to believe that God loves that person more than you because they have more than you. They are on a bigger platform. They got more people in their life. They have a bigger house. They got a couple more cars. Look how much more God loves that person than you he's holding out on you no god's goodness is seen in a lot of different areas but in genesis chapter 2 god shows his goodness to adam and eve through his presence the bible says that god would come down from heaven and walk around with adam and eve he would talk to them he would hang out with them and the bible says in genesis chapter 2 that god shows his goodness through his presence. In the book of Exodus, Moses was up on Mount Sinai when he was getting the, um, the Ten Commandments. He asked God to show me your face. God said, I can't do that, but what I can do is show you my 
goodness. And he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. You guys know the story? Hid Moses in the rock. What? In the rock. In the rock. And then the word says that his goodness passed by. God's presence passed by Moses while he was hidden in the rock. God shows you his goodness today through his presence in your life. Now, you guys know how much I like talking about the presence of God in our life. It is the most overlooked blessing that we have today. The fact that I have God Almighty. I have the creator of the heavens, the creator of the earth. I have the one who fills, holds, and sustains. I have God Almighty in my life with me today, and so do you. Don't ever lose the fact. Don't ever forget the fact that God is with you. That's one of those things we hear over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and it kind of loses its appeal. It loses its effect. Can I encourage you? Don't let it. It should move your heart. It should change your life. It should change your thought process to know that the God in heaven is with you. He's not just hanging out in the clouds watching everything go down. No, he's in the fight with you. He's in the battle with you. He's slapping those demons around right now. He's Hulk Hogan body slamming. This is two Hulk Hogan references in one sermon. This is the best time I've ever preached, I think. This is the absolute best. You get two Hulk Hogan references in one morning. Y'all ain't going to get this in any other church. Let me just go ahead and say I'm going to come in here dressed like Hulk Hogan on Halloween. Spandex and all. Speedo and all. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. What we see here is the enemy tempt Eve with doubting God's word and with doubting God's goodness. And the result of that the result of her believing it was that she disobeyed God's law. She disobeyed God's command. That's the enemy's plan. That's his strategy laid out for you there in two points. Doubt God's word, doubt his goodness and his presence in your life, and it leads to you disobeying God's word. Now, one quick thing about this, and then we're going to wrap up. We'll be done. One quick thing. It's not going to be before 11, y'all. I'm sorry. Hulk Hogan, without the Hulk Hogan stories, we'd have been out by 11. So I apologize. One quick thing about doubting God's word and doubting God's command. Um, Adam and Eve didn't know it at the time. And lots of times we don't know it today. But when we disobey God's word, it not only affects your life, but it affects the people's lives around you. Adam and Eve disobeyed. Thousands of years later, we're here paying the price. We're here because of Genesis chapter 3. Our hearts are broken because of Genesis chapter 3. We find ourselves a sin in our life because of Genesis chapter 3. We find ourselves dealing with death because of Genesis chapter 3. Because of their disobedience, you and I today are feeling the effects of what they, of the temptation and the sin in their life. And the same is true for us today. When we disobey the word of the Lord, it not only affects you, but it will affect the people around you. I had a friend of mine years ago, back in the 
mid-2000s. His name was Ben. Ben was a youth pastor um, at a church in High Point. Ben was a friend of mine. We played ball together. He was not that good. He was a good Tar Heel fan, though, but he was not that good at basketball. He thought he was really good, but he was not that good. Uh, but Ben was a nice guy. Ben could sing. Ben was a really good singer. Had a bad attitude sometimes, but he could sing pretty good. Um, ben was a youth pastor at a church in High Point, and one day um, his church had a school connected to it, and so he asked me to come over and to speak at their chapel service at their school, um, and so I went, spoke, he sang, he led the music, I spoke. Uh, when I left, I went to the Carolina's Diner there on Eastchester in High Point. When Ben left, he went to a 15-year-old young lady's house to where her dad found out, and you can imagine what happened after that. So Ben wound up spending years of his life in prison. Ben made a bad decision. Ben disobeyed not only worldly law, but God's law, God's word, and God's command. Ben had two young boys. I think they were like three and five at the time. Can you imagine how their life was affected by that decision? Ben had a wife. Can you imagine how her life was affected by that decision? Two weeks later, I found myself having to have meetings with our district leadership, having to have meetings with our uh, church leadership and having to have meetings with parents of students in our group questioning me about what happened and wanting to make sure that that was not going to happen in my life. Ben didn't realize that what he did then not only affected him, but it affects a lot of people around him. And the same is true for you. When you disobey the word of the Lord, the enemy wants you to believe that it's not that big of a deal. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to care. The reality is, it's a big deal because it will affect your life, and it will also affect the lives of the people around you. That's why Genesis 3 is a big deal. Because it shows the enemy's strategy, and it shows the results on if he's successful now luckily for us we have more written in this book than just genesis chapter 3 we have an entire book full of stories full of tales of god's redeeming love of god's forgiveness of god's chasing after people of god loving people of god accepting people back home even people that make multiple mistakes like me and you those times where we mess up one, two, and three times, and we get forgiveness, and then we mess up seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirty, forty, hundred, ten hundred times, the story is still true for you and I today. And that is God's forgiveness and God's love. The reason we can celebrate forgiveness and we can celebrate heaven today is not because of Genesis 3, but because of everything else in that word so take hope today if the enemy's tempting you he's probably doing it trying to get you to doubt god's word trying to get you to doubt his goodness 
and that will lead to you disobeying his word and his command. But that's not the end of the story. Amen? God is the end of the story. He's the beginning and the end. He's eternal. He's where we're going to be for all eternity for those that are in Christ. Genesis 3 is not the end. Revelation 22 is the end. And that tells of the new heaven and the new earth where you and I, believers in Christ, will be for all eternity. Find hope today. Find strength today in God's word, in his goodness, and in the future that he has planned for you. Amen? Let's stand together.